Hello and welcome to For the Love of Truth. I'm called Adrian. In this episode, I'm speaking to a good friend of mine, Nigel, who has both an excellent website and some great content on his YouTube channel. And I'll put links in the description of this podcast episode for you to have a look. And if you do pop across there, please tell him that Adrian sent you. I wanted to interview Nigel to discuss his view on living off the land, something he has done now for the last two decades. And I think it's more pertinent and more relevant now than ever with this great reset, this knowing and intentional destruction of the current systems, be it food, be it health, be it education, be it finance, be it everything. It's all being taken away. And this crazy transhumanist agenda that seems to be wheedling its way into our lives. Nigel took it upon himself to live outside the matrix, as he refers to it, and I would agree with him. And he's created something quite spectacular. So the purpose of this interview, this discussion that I wanted you to hear, is talking to Nigel about why and how he went about it and what it really offers him in terms of lifestyle choices, in terms of security, in terms of food security. And all of those things, I think, are going to become increasingly important as we move forwards through this really dangerous times I can see coming our way. Now, Nigel has done something that I don't think is available to all of us, but he's approached it in a very interesting way. And I think there is tremendous validity and things that you and I can learn from it. So even if you think it's not something you could do right now, I would encourage you just to listen with an open mind and an open heart and just float gently down the stream with it, looking at the view, because it may be something that you could steer yourself towards in some way, shape or form, or even just a piece of it at some stage in the future. As always, you are amazing. And I'm looking forward so much to speaking to you in the next episode. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. We were talking about um, self-reliance, self-responsibility. I think it's important as well that you surround yourself as best you can with people. They don't have to be on the same wavelength, but they have to be stubborn, I think. Um, and they have to be able to stand on their own feet and stand the ground. Yeah, true enough. But uh, do you know what? I think there's a danger in waiting to um, sort of find the right people, as it were, yes. to, to do anything. I, I, you know, obviously it's great. And we always want to be able to converse with people that we share some of our values with otherwise it's really hard isn't it just talking at superficiality but i don't think the lack of people around us that that are on our wavelength should be um you know uh, a reason for inaction i think we i, I couldn't agree it's more still worth, still worth going for it and trying to sort of create things yourself trying to you know which is why i think land ownership is is such a um a good key component because it, it's got so many good factors that it pulls in sort of independent thinking and long-term planning, all these sorts of things. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely a time to take responsibility. Anybody who knows anything about what's going on in the world today, you know, we, we were all aware that we're at some sort of critical juncture and a lot of people are just going along with it and thinking, Oh dear, you know, disaster, climate disaster and pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the more thinking people are starting to get, get, you know, get to grips with what's going on. They? So, so it really ties in with being a time to, to take responsibility because we really need to suss out what's going on. And it's possible, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. So what, what was the, 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 the point that made you say, right, I no longer want to be part of you. You weren't really corporate because you were a pilot, weren't you? Yeah. 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 So you, you went from that to, what you've created now, what, what, what was the decision point? What did you see coming? Well, around about the same time that I began flying, I, I was actually into green, uh, you know, the Green Party and green issues. Um, and so I was, I was that way inclined. I was sort of environmentally aware, you could say. Um, so so that, was, that was going on. And, and I consider myself sort of just P-A-Y-E, but, but um, I'd always realised that uh, flying wasn't sort of, the be all and end all for me so i wanted to do something else something meaningful and um having a, a piece of land i was able to i inherited it back in the late 80s so i so i had something to sort of a toy to play with a thing to have a go at if you like so land ownership for me sort of fell into my lap 
I, I, I sort of very slowly sort of phased out of being an airline pilot into being a small holder. It, it, it took, it was a, you know, 20 year process in answer to that. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, you know, I was reading about sheep farming back in 2003, you know, while I was flying, you know, and, and then it obviously caused, you know, some hilarity with my colleagues. <laughs> some of the things that I was interested in, but I've always been insatiably curious to find out about stuff and, and trying to build a more secure um, and long-term thinking way of life has always really appealed to me. So that combined with ideas of permaculture and, and, and land use, uh, thoughtful land use, really, thoughtful and creative land use. I was really fired up with that, Adrian, and that, that, that really kicked me into it. Oh, okay. All right. So that, that, yeah. that makes sense. It was a question, actually, I meant to ask you when I saw you when I was down there the other night. But then there were so many other questions to ask you, so that went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, well, so you, you, you had this, the land that then you inherited – if you look back at it from the point you're at now, 20 years on or whatever, what would you do differently with the land? Because you, you talked about making quite a lot of changes. How would you approach it differently? If someone said, I really want to get started, but it's very daunting, it's just – what what would you sort of suggest idea-wise and what would you do? Yeah, um, it's difficult really. I, I probably wouldn't change anything because anyone who embarks on a uh, – a journey of land ownership. So you buy a woodland or something or a meadow or, or a piece of a farmer's field. And yes, it can seem really daunting, but um, you can you can consider it as uh, it's just an opportunity. It's just a great big possibility bubble because you can just having a, a, a wildflower meadow and just sort of sitting and putting a bench somewhere in the scenery might satisfy some people. Or you can go as involved as sort of moving the earth around, planting ponds and, and, and swales and things and planting up banks, creating a landscape. So, um, and, and it could be an edible landscape. It can be a productive landscape. There, there can be animals in it. It's sort of, you know, your imagination's the limit really. But but I don't think one should be daunted by it because you can just, I think, just having a patch of your own space if you just went there once a year and, and, and uh, you know, at a summer barbecue, I think it'd be worth it, you know. So, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm biased, Adrian, cause, because my journey with land has been, you know, such a, a wonderful voyage of discovery. I'm very biased to try and um, enthuse other people with the possibility. But sometimes I'm not sure that the, the possibility is easy to see. And I think that one of the main barriers is planning permission, I think, Every single person I've spoken to looks at the possibility of buying land through the can I build a house on it, which, which is understandable. Of course, why, why wouldn't we want to dwell on our own land? Why shouldn't we? But unfortunately, the, the, the planning system, certainly here in the UK, makes that very unlikely, you know, unless you know the right people, the right, have the right connections or, you know, have got a lot of funds and clout. It's, it's, that's quite a difficult hurdle. So I think that stops a lot of people, maybe more than they're being daunted by the whole, uh, you know, my goodness, what am I going to do with my land? That's, um, but yeah, there are endless possibilities of what you can, what you can do with a piece of land. And I suppose, I mean, do you just want me to waffle on and on about? Keep talking. I'm going to throw a few more questions in if they become necessary. But yeah, I just, I really wanted your take on, because when I came to visit you, I had a rough idea of what you created from watching your other videos and having a few talks with you. But when I walked into that magical little place you've got, I was, I'm not often lost for words, but I was close, but I just <laughs> fluffed along like I always do and everything was fine. But it, it, it really, it was amazing because you could see how over time you'd sculpted the land, but you'd done it in such a way that it looked like it hadn't been sculpted. And that's really what took my breath away was because you'd been so respectful of the shapes and forms that had been there, but you'd, you'd modified them to suit what you required as well. We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started.
Well, thank you for that, Adrian. Um, yeah, it, it, it's been a beautiful process of um, trying to create functionality. I, I'm, I personally try to always mix beauty with functionality and, and roughly a 50 percent, you know, 50 50 mix, if you like. But they're both important criteria, a space, uh, a shed, uh, any kind of a pathway or a terrace. Any kind of structure, I think, has to has to be functional, has to do something, and um, and it has to be beautiful. So, so I mean, <laughs> that's something that I've sort of been able to indulge myself with. But you know, even if you're, we're just using recycled materials and and ramshackle stuff, I think you can still you can still incorporate beauty and and even these sort of things like the phi ratio and all that sort of stuff. You can have fun playing with that. And I think this is where a lot of people maybe can't see the possibility until they visit a place but but it, it's it gardening sort of got a bad bad name isn't it if you say i'm into gardening it's like that's <laughs> not cool but but really if you're if you're landscaping if you're designing a space that you're going to be spending some time in you want it to be productive you want it to feed you healthily support you with you know in just your your human needs of connection with the earth grounding with bare feet you know maybe swimming in the pond and that sort of thing it, you want this place to nourish you so it, it's just a beautiful journey to do that step by step and of course there is an advantage to sort of planning things out to some degree you'd want to sort of arrive up a drive to a central place you're going to need hard standing you're going to need a water supply things like this so so these are worth thinking about in the in the, in the early stages but but yeah it, it it's it's something that can evolve and you can start with just growing a few vegetables somewhere and you know it can grow over the years and decades and we now have a polytunnel and a fruit orchard and things like that and as you sort of develop it you know you sort of learn to incorporate it into your lifestyle so so it's you know you can benefit from the initial investment of setting things up you know for quite a long time afterwards of course, with orchards. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's funny with the food things. I only started growing food really for myself last year when I got involved in the community garden to learn how to do it. And what's surprising me is it doesn't take, I mean, it takes some effort and it does take some work, but it doesn't take anywhere near as much work as people think. And how, as certainly as I thought, and from talking to other people, I think they're in the same place. Yeah, and, and you, you've got to look out for predation and you know all, all the normal stuff, but you start to work around that and you start to work out what other plants work with that so that that becomes less of an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not quite as much work as people think it is. It's more of an ongoing commit, commitment. So it sort of calls at you to schedule into your week, if you like, <clears throat> certain things, which isn't a bad thing because it's, it's quite helpful to to have a weekly schedule and a plan for your day anyway. Um, so, so I think growing vegetables is more, it's, it, it, it does require sort of being nailed to a schedule, a bit of discipline with that, but, but there isn't an awful lot to it. And it's something you can always sort of get better at. You know, you, you build the fertility of the soil over the years, you, you learn more and more. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a very re rewarding component um of of life but for me really adrian it's not it's not um it's not a main passion it's something i do because i think we have to for a basic bit of food security but it's not something i would personally do for for enjoyment you know i'd probably rather be playing music or having a interesting conversation with somebody or something like that but but I, but but it is still a good component to for the sort of small holder small land owner it's it's a great way of sort of connecting and grounding oneself i think okay yeah i mean when when you and i were together we talked about the possibility of you looking to create some kind of if training course explanation course i don't i don't know we just floated the idea is that something you've thought some more about um yes it, it i would love to get more people on board because uh, in some kind of educational capacity like that to just to maybe try and show people uh, possibilities, you know, sort of seed bombs in the mind, to uh, so to speak. But I would like to. Um, I, I'm going to say I intend to, but I'd like to buy a piece of land of about 50 acres at some point in the future, and and set up some kind of project where that would be divided into sort of I don't know four or five acre parcels, and and try to you know bring together a bunch of people that would be interested in doing doing something like that. 
but it would be it would be along the lines of of private ownership and and voluntary you know join in if you want to but naturally it would it, it i'd be i'd be trying to find people that want to do something differently people that want to live differently people that value independence um individualism you know making a go of it and 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 stepping outside of of the matrix <laughs> stepping outside of this mad culture because i think that's an important component of it it's it's important to get off this cultural ship which is going down it's important yeah it's really important for us to for us to try and sort of get some community roots and and really a, a bunch of a patchwork of of small holdings could be so good if it were sort of unregulated and it was just people cooperating for their you know real basic needs gosh it would uh, it would be it could be fantastic but that's that's uh, you know a plan for the future whether or not it, it'll come to fruition you know there's a lot of variables in there I, I think if you walk in that general direction you'd be surprised how far you can get yeah and and it will gather momentum because you'll gra- people will gravitate towards it yeah yeah absolutely you know if you lived up here in wales or i live down there i'll be on, I'll be on board with you in a heartbeat <laughs> Yeah. And in the short term, um, coming back to your question about educational material about that, I'm, I'm, I haven't come up with a, with a strategy for that yet, but um, that is something I, I'm interested in doing. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I, I think that could be incredibly powerful. Yeah. Series of videos or something. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I, I think it's incredibly powerful. And I think it's absolutely necessary right now because th- there's very dangerous times ahead for doing nothing. But I think there's very rewarding times ahead for doing something. And the ones that want to do something with some encouragement, some guidance, some education. I mean, you're ideal in many ways because you've done this. You're on the journey. You're further down the journey than some people and not as far as other people. But you're definitely along that path. And I think the ability to to really help others do the same thing and to learn what's possible, I, I think, could be incredibly powerful. Yeah. Well, it would be, be a lovely thing to inspire people to do. but. Because there, there are just so many. Not not only is there a pressing need to do it, you know, step out of uh, uh, the culture that's collapsing around us, you know, like get out of the building during the earthquake. Not only is there a pressing need, but there's so much fun to be had, and there's so many sort of psychological benefits to to <laughs> making a bid for freedom. Really, I mean, I do think that land ownership is is a you know, a real fundamental of, of freedom. And we've seen, we've seen in history, you know, the, the struggles that people have had with land, the North American Indians, you know, the sort of the European gypsies, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, and uh, a, a, you could say a landless people, you know, can't be a free people, but, you know, without getting too sort of deep about it, it's just really practical. It's, it's a really practical way of expressing your values here on earth doing it on your own little patch even if it is small you know you can you can express your values of organic organically uh, growing food you know not poisoning the land you know what you're going to do with your waste disposal how you're going to manage that um how you're going to power everything you know what's so your ethics come out in what you do and that that's that's a great thing to do it makes you really feel empowered and expressing your values if you don't like litter and rubbish around you know you have a, a tidy place around you and you can so yeah it, it, and it can be as trivial as that to as ta-da, you know as grand as, as you want i mean the thing people might wonder with with just getting some land and having essentially a small holding a small agricultural um holding are the sort of what can you do what are the restrictions and there are restrictions but there are a lot of things you can do in terms of putting up buildings structures barns any piece of land you do anything on can rightfully claim, you know, at least a large shed to put a load of equipment in, whether it's pruning equipment or, or lawnmowers. Or, so so there's, there's a lot that can be done. And if you're doing agriculture, you fit right into the right category. We, we, we're on agricultural land. And you, you basically have to be doing agriculture. And, and that's not that hard to do. You can get loads of animals um there's the the, as i said earlier your imagination is the limit really (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you you have um chickens pigs some rabbits that they're reasonably easy maintenance are they yeah yeah and uh, we've got some bantams as well 
Bantams are great because they roost in the trees. They sort of feed themselves. They'll lay eggs in a re regular place if you provide for them. And they put themselves away out of the fox's reach at night, <laughs> which, of course, is a drawback. So, so bantams, we're, we're shifting away from chickens towards bantams for that reason. All right, okay. I didn't realise they did that. Yeah, they lay a slightly smaller egg, but, um, you know, you know doesn't, doesn't an insignificantly smaller amount. Yeah. So we, we also have a pond with some, uh, uh, some fish in, which we're, we're thinking of developing the aquaculture side of things, because uh, wow. there's definitely a, a useful relationship between you know, the pond water cleaning and potentially irrigating another oh, wow. piece of land. So, um, Absolutely, yeah, and all the nutrients from the fish as well. Yeah, so that's something we're hoping to, to play around with in the future, um, increase uh, the fertility of the vegetable growing area. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it, it's fabulous. Really. There's always something else you can do. There's always some other crazy thing, you know, you can grow. My, my son's recently got into uh, um, growing various uh, fir tree varieties. He's suddenly got interested in that. And, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, lots of possibilities. That's really interesting. So as a percentage of the food that you would normally consume, how much do you think you provide for yourself? Just as a rough percentage, 50%, 40%, 70%? Yeah, I'd probably say about 40%. Yeah. We 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 keep the sort of farm engine running if you like to make sure it's up and running if we needed to crank it into full production if you like. So we're not really at full production and almost by design because I like to do other things, you know, um I, I run the website and podcast. We all have other activities, so it's 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 not a it's not a full-time thing necessarily. Has, has to, you've got to balance things out, haven't you? Of course you do, yeah. But you, yeah. you, you, you have the facility certainly to ramp it up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, I mean, one of the exciting things about, you know, this uh, having a piece of land is being able to host events and things. And uh, we've had lots of fun hosting various uh, conferences, gatherings and weddings. You know, Linian really enjoys that. So that's another another aspect of uh you know the the sort of uh productivity if you like of, of owning a piece of land i didn't realize you'd done weddings there as well yeah yeah we don't do too many because you know it's a it's quite a big deal it's high impact but uh but it, it's good fun especially uh you know it's, it's nice to provide if we know people you know that's that that works quite nicely <laughs> okay what, yeah. what about you know the the impact on the little ones because they've been around from from before they were born haven't they effectively Yes, the the children um, have all all been born here. So we we spent uh, we spent a lot of our life here. They've spent um, you know a lot of their life outdoors here in this space. So yeah, they don't know anything different, and uh, they they love it. Apart from you know the usual sort of children tantrums, <laughs> I think they're pretty pretty pleased with being outside. It's great. I mean, my fourteen year old, um, he's really interested in, in in the snakes and and and, and bird species and, and the moths and butterflies it, it's incredible to see his natural interest that he's just just from being immersed in it he's he's become interested in it and it's lovely to watch that it's just natural curiosity you know it's lovely lovely to see we, there there are several schools of uh, of homeschooling you know from school at home all the way to fully laissez-faire and we're we're pretty much at that end, you know. We we allow the children quite a lot of quite a lot of freedom, really. Mm -hmm. But but that works, Nigel, because this whole business of of rote learning isn't education. It's do, it's dominance. It's control. It's it's dropping you as the perfectly shaped thing back into the matrix. That's what it's always ever been designed to do. Yeah. And when we homeschooled our little ones, God, three decades back nearly, it was an interesting thing because if you just find what they're curious in and explore it with them. They learn far quicker than teaching them a load of shit they're not interested in. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? Watching uh, the human curiosity ignite and, uh, and as you said, just, just waiting for them to, to make it happen and then going with them. We, we we're under a lot of pressure with, uh, you know, Oh, aren't they learning to read yet? Can't he read yet? And, uh, we found that, you know, when ready and when there's the desire and the, you know, oh, right, I better learn to read. I can see the obvious benefits. I'm going to have to grasp the nettle and uh, crack this one. When they do that, it really, really happens 
happens quickly and it's yeah it's a, it, it's great to see that that i i am i am for you know some a little bit of structure with learning we know when they get older but i think as you say a bit of freedom certainly early in childhood is 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 wonderful thing to be able to give them here on the land it's great yeah and and you're also teaching them some incredibly practical skills and you are keeping them away from all the rubbish that goes on in the schools and the peer pressure and all the inconsequential nonsense and all the habits that they shouldn't pick up that are just coping strategies to survive in that environment. Yeah. Because it struck me when I, was, I only really spoke to your, your son, um, but he was so, he was polite, he was engaging, he was knowledgeable on quite a lot of subjects and he was quick, very quick, which was a delight to see. And he also wasn't buried, in, you know, buried in the internet all the time. Sure, he had some access, but he was outside doing things, talking, running around. It was great to see all the kids with black feet, like children should have, because they're running around barefoot on the land, connected to everything. Yeah, yeah, it is nice. It's lovely to be able to provide that. But it's funny the the internet really is a massive sort of candy bar for them, you know, for their attention, isn't it? I mean, all parents know it's. It's a really difficult one to, yeah. I think when when we're homeschooling, um, almost more difficult. I, I don't know. Maybe it's not. It's just, yeah. It 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 it's difficult to sell the outside versus gaming. It's it's like trying to sort of promote vegetables over sweets and ice cream. It's just they're really. It's not a fair thing to compare. So they're always inevitably turns into an element of control about it. And I, I hate that. I hate that idea of controlling it. I, I I don't want to enforce virtue on my children. I want them to want to be virtuous. I want them to see the benefits, but it's really difficult, isn't it, with computer gaming? Well, I, I think so. Luckily, I never really got into the games. Um, and, and even now, I'm, I'm, I'm always drawn to the equipment because of the things I do. But I'm finding of late, I'm spending more and more time just away from them. You know, right down to using my old Nokia phone again, so I simply can't connect to anything other than a phone call. Yeah. And that, that's, that for me, because I noticed that I was checking my, my phone so every 15, 20 minutes, and there was stuff pinging up and coming in. I thought, this is, this is dominating my life, and I've got stuff I want to get on with. Yeah. So I went back to the Nokia, and it's great, because in the last week, I've, had, I've received and made three phone calls in seven days. And it's been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I mean, I, I think I'm as addicted to the internet as anyone these days. I really like being connected and finding stuff out. But I I think I, I do all of my stuff, emails and stuff through the internet, through my laptop and stuff like that. Um, I just don't do it on the phone. So I, I've always been quite, um, you know, keep it in, in its box, this, this uh, EMF emitting device. We we have a, a quite a I try and get, have a, a, a as EMF free lifestyle as possible. So I'm rubbish with the phone. In fact, most people just don't bother phoning me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Texting's great, isn't it? Because texting comes through when you check your phone a couple of times a day, which is which is all I do really. Most of the time, it's in airplane mode. But but yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's to to um, put the genie back in its box. You know, the the, the internet, the connection, and all that. Well, it is, and I think one of the other challenges with the whole setup was it's it, it could be an incredible tool, but what it's what it appears to being used for more than anything now it's it's being manipulated, and it's like they're creating this false version of history in there that people go there and they read it and they think it must be legit, and it's a million miles from legit because it's been changed. Yeah, it's fascinating these days, isn't it, Adrian? How as you said, history is almost literally being rewritten. Um, uh, James Corbett's talked about another sort of digital book burning going on, and and you know it, it, it's going to be it's going to be harder and harder for people that are talking about stuff that really happened to sort of reference it because it's all going to be. Well, they've made it all electronic, and now they can change it whenever they want. Yeah, it's not as easy to change all the books out that are in people's libraries, like all the books behind you. They can't do it. No, absolutely. I mean, they can over time, but it takes a time. Yeah, it's great to have hard copies, isn't it? Um, you know, even if they're hard copies on discs of stuff, just to everybody personally storing information, I think is 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 really important. Yeah, there's actually I meant to mention when I was down there, there's a piece of software called Calibre, C A L I B R E, which is a book cataloging for PDFs, eBooks, and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's one I use. It's an open source one. Um, yeah, 
And it's very, it's, it's very good because I decided not to use Apple's one and some of the other ones. I wanted to be able to catalog and get in information quickly. Mm. This thing about, uh, you know, the fact that history is being written, rewritten, as you were saying, it's, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we're in a, a situation where few, few enough people are, are interested to investigate anyway. And then when you, when you, when you start to make it harder and harder <laughs> by hiding things and, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, is, it's a, it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it, to dig and find out what's really going on. Sometimes you can still find things on the way back machine, but I'm noticing things going missing on there now, which is a shame. Yeah. But yeah, if, if people would take, you know, print stuff out, archive it to whatever kind of medium you want with some backups, I think that would be a good thing at this point. Mm. When I see anything that's useful, I try and stick it on my website for people just as an archive reference. There's only, you know, it's, I think individually, we don't, we can't necessarily do a lot, but when you look back over it and you think actually there's seven, 800 articles on there, there's quite a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. But yeah, I think the other thing for people to remember is if you just look at history, his story, they're all just stories and they are being massively modified. I was having a discussion with someone today about the, um, all this nonsense in Ukraine. And when you start to ask some questions, it was unbelievably easy to poke so many holes in what they thought was going on. The only challenge with doing that was I think I poked a few too many holes and they ended up getting really rolled and walking off. <laughs> And we hadn't quite got to the point I'd hope we'd get to, which is then we go, oh, Christ, I need to look into this. Yeah. As, as opposed to you crazy conspiracy theorists. And I went, there's no conspiracy with me. I said, I'm only a single guy. I said, there's a whole bunch of other people getting together, which would suggest that's where the conspiracy is happening. Yeah. And that's where I started to lose them. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever our, our view of what's going on these days, and, uh, you know, we, we've all got our own spectrum of, of conclusions but um, I, again, this coming coming back to sort of buying a piece of land or, or a piece of woodland or something, I think is a really great way uh, for for thinking people to sort of proactively take a step into creating a new culture. Because, because you know, even if you just got a- yes, and that's net that is so necessary. Yeah, so necessary right now because you are not going to fix what's already broken by voting in another bunch of broken people. Something completely different has to happen, and I think you nailed it ab- yeah. absolutely with that. Yeah. I mean, even if it is just sort of buying a, a piece of woodland at the end of some farm track somewhere, you know, I mean, from small beginnings, acorns grow. And, and it's really just important to have a foothold, a place to go that, that isn't necessarily a house. And, you know, you can, you can over a period of time, I mean, it does take time. It, it does take time to sort of set things up on a piece of land, but it's really a good time to start because there's so much shit going on. We need to start building this counterculture and, and we need places to, to do it. It can't all be on the internet. You know, we need real places. No, absolutely. It needs to be physical stuff, hands in the dirt, you know blisters on your hands and everything and, and sunburn on yeah. your back getting into it somewhere to store the information how much how much is woodland the last time i looked which was i think probably a year or two ago it, it had a sort of a, a, a maximum price of about 12 grand per acre but it's generally um, a lot less of course it depends massively on where you are in the country um land's always worth what someone will pay for it at the end of the day <laughs> it's a, you know, um, even sort of farmland that was four, five grand an acre, it's, it's, it's um, much, much more expensive now. Equestrian uses always push it up to about 10 grand an acre. Um, and then just speculative, speculative um, approaches, you know, people will, will it, you know, land values can, can be anything really. Right. Depends okay. on that planning permission thing yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you, yeah. you've pointed out that you can actually do quite a lot to do with agriculture without planning permission, although I guess you do need to have some form. Yeah. We well, see, um, on a piece of agricultural land, if you were to just buy a farmer's field, if you can find a farmer that's happy to sell a field and perhaps group together with a few people to to uh, buy a bigger field than is necessary, than a bigger field than you could afford, but you might want to split it up with a few people, that can, that can be great. But um, where was I going with that? I can't remember now. Derailed. If you were about to buy a piece of land, I was going to say, I was going to go somewhere with that. It's so annoying. Well, it's what you were looking to do, isn't it? Which is to buy a bigger parcel and to subdivide it into smaller parcels with, with some like-minded, independent thinking people so that you can, you can create something. Yes, absolutely. I mean, 
Yeah, it's, it, 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 anyway, it's such a, just to sort of rewind a bit, to zoom back out again, it's a really important time, I think, to, to take a, a proactive step. And whatever we think we might use a piece of land for, it's really difficult to sort of foresee a normal future. I don't know about you, Adrian, but, you know, I, I think things... Normal's gone out the window a long time back. <laughs> I think life could get very different um, quite soon. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be alarmist or, or pessimistic, but I just think being prepared is good. And, uh, you know, it's never too early to buy a piece of land. It's never too early to, to uh, you know, consider these sorts of decisions. It's not, it's not for everybody, you know, it's obviously not. But, uh, yeah, there, there are serious challenges ahead of us for, for creating this subculture. What happens if you don't get planning permission? What do the council do? Well, if you don't get planning permission, you can you can do agriculture. So if you buy a small piece of land, I don't know, say say you're, you're quite fortunate and you've got four or five acres, there's quite a, a lot you can do that's agriculture. You can keep chickens and sheep, any animals. You can build structures to look after those animals. You can put fences up and plant trees and dig ponds and put driveways in. You know, there's a lot of basic development that you can simply say, well, look, it's necessary for, you know, I'm just saying I'm just going to keep chickens. You're going to need several houses, a tractor. You know, as soon as you've got a tractor, you've got a justification for a tractor shed, a maintenance workshop, um, you know, some welfare facilities, as councils like to refer to them, you know, sort of washing facilities, showers, toilets, you know, and, and you know, when, that that gives you a lot of, I suppose you could put a kitchen there as well because you have to eat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kitchens, all that sort of thing. So, so without even, I mean, okay, over time, you're, it, it, you know, these things don't just pop up. You've got to, um, they cost money ultimately. But there's a lot you can do over time. Is is the thing to to um, to sort of build value and 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 infrastructure to a to a place to make it more secure it's a, it's a lengthy process yes but it's it's a, such a pleasurable climb up the ladder of building your own future and security that it's that it's really worth it and i i know people might be put off by the fact there's no house there you know there's no planning commission you can live in a caravan you can live in a tent you can live in a trailer or sleep in the back of a van or something you know to start with you know so so i, I just wouldn't be put off i mean it's, it's... Yeah, and, and to be fair, you're not going to be inside much. It's not as if you're going to be sitting there all the time. There's a lot that you can crack on with. You only need somewhere to rest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when you're doing agriculture, there are, there's always a reason to be on the farm for some purpose at certain times. You know, it doesn't all happen at once, obviously, but there, there are all sorts of emergencies that could be happening. You could be doing midnight slug patrols. You could be doing rat shooting or, or, or pest deterrent at night. Um, you could be giving birth to piglets or, or, you know, there's so many things that can effectively justify your presence there at any time that, that you need to be able to have facilities to do there, to be there. And, and this, is a, this is a sort of a something to bear in mind when we're licking our wounds that we haven't got planning permission and we're not allowed to build a house there. And, you know, all that legitimate stuff that goes with that. If you bear in mind that you can be there at almost any time and justify being there, that's just something to consider. That's really interesting the way you've explained that. Thank you. Because that's something I had been twirling around in my head. And you know that I'm uh, not a big fan of any kind of rules and control in any way, shape or form. Yeah. I, I find it such a frustration, Adrian, when people are put off because of the rules. Yes. You know, and... and you know, nobody wants to advocate breaking rules, but sometimes you've got to weigh up what's really important. You know? And who does the rule serve? Sometimes we have to say again. Who does the rule serve? Exactly. You know, in, in this instance, the rules largely serve the controller. Exactly. I mean, the planning permission, uh, sorry, the planning system, which requires people to beg for permission from the government before they um, you know, exercise their human right to build whatever structure they want on their own land for their own private purposes. You know, you just inherently don't need anyone's permission to do that. If you rightly acquired the land, you can rightfully use it. It's, it's a nonsense. But the system of, of controls really came into being in this country in 1948. And people forget 
you know, they, they say, oh, you know, you can't have people building things willy nilly because it would destroy the countryside. And people don't know in their ignorance, of course, that the British countryside has actually evolved without any planning system. That that's you know, just just look at the English country. That's what happens. You don't get skyscrapers. It doesn't happen. No, and it's beautiful. I, I did. I did. I've heard this several times in Wales, and I don't know whether it's still a rule, but I think it probably is that if you can build a structure, get a roof on it, light a fire in the hearth in twenty-four hours, it can stay put. Okay, so you've got, to, you've got to have a good plan up your sleeve and know where the raw materials are. Well, well, I was going to say, you have to have a good plan up your sleeve and you either need to live in something that's very, very small or you need quite a crew of people with materials on hand to do it. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I heard that there's, there's a place called The Ugly House up near Betisicoid, and that was the story behind that. And then we went to the Centre for Alternative Technology near McCuncleth a couple of weeks ago when we went away. And that was lovely, except that the whole place has been captured by the climate freaks and uh, all, all the other special people. Uh-oh. But they did something with, oh, what's the name of the guy now? He does, uh, not Grand Designs, the other one. Anyway, so it doesn't matter. So they, they, he built somewhere up there at the top by the reservoir at the top, and it was beautiful. And they did the same thing. They, they constructed the whole thing in 24 hours. Wow. But there was more than two of them doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, if that, if that kind of rule applies, that's an interesting concept as well. It is. But as you, as you quite rightly say, there's temporary accommodation. Get yourself a van. Get a motorhome. Yeah. Get a caravan. There's all sorts of things you can do while you try and figure your way through it. Yeah. The structures, uh, roundhouses, uh, they've used at Lamas and various other places very successfully. Interesting structure that if you plan ahead – you can do something like, uh, you know, a 24-hour construction for sure. And then I imagine sort of filling in wall spaces is something that can be, that can creep in over time. <laughs> That's right. There's the fire. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's lit. <laughs> but, That's yeah, interesting. Are, yeah, it's amazing because I think one thing, Adrian, is also is just like sitting out of a summer's evening somewhere where you can just hear the insects and, you know, whatever bird activity is going on and and just – just be away from, you know, town sounds, away from electro smog. It's, it's really, really um, a treasure, you know, and, and in the, the sort of future that's coming, whether it's, you know, 5G and all these things, whether it's madness of, of, of uh, you know, pandemic control and all this, I, I can't help but think that getting out of the urban areas is fundamental to getting out of this culture that's collapsing. We, I think our chances in this context are so much better in a rural environment, you know, and how far we want to go from urban areas or city centres, it's a matter for debate. But to, to literally sort of get out of the collapsing building, as it were, um, I think is really important. And if you're in a flat in a city centre, you're so beholden to supply of food, quality of food, supply of water, and quality of water. The vertical prisons. I remember I, I used to sell apartments, a lot of them. And I remember one night and I was, I was having a joint and I was looking and I was thinking, these are prisons. You've got maybe two doors in and you've got five, 600 people living in here. If they shut those doors, we're prisoners. Yeah, they're nice quality prisons, but they're still yeah. prisons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a stark way to think of it. And and I must admit, I do think of them like that. I mean, for, for me personally, um, I couldn't I couldn't bear to be in such a space for, for more than a short period of time. If I was visiting, I'd have to just get out of the building. I couldn't be embuildinged like that. <laughs> it would be horrendous. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Weren't there experiments with rats or something that, that uh, allegedly uh, – showed how they, they need a certain density, a certain population density above which certain stresses are triggered. And, and I think that, that that's, you know, largely ignored in our culture. And we'd, we'd all massively benefit if we could, if, if the size of every street could just sort of be stretched, amplified. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So that everyone's sort of garden was twice as big or the house was twice as far away from the nearest neighbours. If, if, if everyone had more space, I think it would be, a really, really good thing. And, and that's another real advantage about, you know, getting out and, you know, securing your own space. It's, it's really nice. I think that's something that people definitely, I mean, if you're open to the idea that things are going south and they're going south far more quickly than, you know, the, the media and everyone would have you believe. Yeah. And 
you know, if you think that power and fuel is expensive now, just wait and see where they're taking it. I, I saw something the other day, actually, was really interesting, Nigel. It was the, um, I think it was 2008, and the price of crude was something like $1.184 a barrel. Yeah. And diesel was one pound and four p a litre. And now crude's at $1.24, $124. Now we're at nearly two pound a litre. <laughs> so something perhaps isn't quite as it seems. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely about energy, isn't it? It's uh, it's so about energy. It's all about control. You control yeah, people control. because you just put the thumb screws on them. And, and I, I was having a discussion with the well, it wasn't really a discussion. It was more a kind of mono kind of thing from me to him and the manager in a local supermarket yesterday. And I said, "Can you explain to me why?" <laughs> You've thinned all the shells out. And he said, no, we haven't. I said, come on. I said, just a couple of months back, these were two and three deep with boxes of provisions behind them. So when something goes, you pull the box forward and it's ready to go again. I said, all of a sudden now, this is one box deep and it's very wide. So you've got less product visibly, if you're not looking and paying attention to what you're seeing, visibly, you're seeing the same amount of stuff, but you've got like a quarter of the stuff you had. And he said, well, we are having some problems getting things and then walked off. I was like, Really? Right. Wonder where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very revealing. Yeah. Supply chain issues are really kicking in, aren't they? And um, you know, con- contrived and constructed crises is is as you say the way that they're uh, they're controlling things and calling the shots. The quicker we can extricate ourselves and and foster what self reliance I think we can, which is really difficult. Which is really 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 difficult. I mean. It is, but, you know, discussions like this, discussions that people are having with themselves, you know, if you can grow a mouthful of food this summer, that's one mouthful less you have to get it from someone that has an agenda that, you know, it won't necessarily be good food. If you've ever grown your own food, the difference in the quality, the taste and the nutrition, you know, one mouthful of that is the equivalent to seven or eight mouthfuls of stuff that you haven't grown that you've bought in from somewhere. True enough, true enough. I mean, it is, it is a great thing to be able to do. But, but it comes back to land again. The thing is, I mean, probably probably most people aren't that excited about sort of growing their own food and think, gosh, that's going to be a bit of a taste bud sacrifice. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing we, we have to think about, worst case scenario, and this is the whole thing about food security and, and perhaps learning to rear pigs in your backyard and stuff. That can be a fantastic food security, you know, even if it's if it's 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 not I not ideal. It's uh, you know, it's a really good thing to be able to have food security, backyard chickens, pigs, these sorts of things. Rabbits are good too, because they grow so damn quick. Rabbits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But again, it comes back to land and, and maybe getting together with other people or, you know watching what Nigel's done and encourage him to put his course together so that you can learn what to do. (laughs) I'll help you. (laughs) I would so love to be able to make that thing happen, Adrian, you know, the community of the patchwork of small holdings, I like to think of it. That's what the the Kins domains were about with those Anastasia books I mentioned. It was to do with land ownership. Yeah. Where where they say you need at least, I think it's... uh, is it two hectares? So that you can put a pond, some woodland, you know, bees, crops, the whole thing. But you have to own that space and it has to be separate to the others. You can yeah. do what you want with the others, but it's not a commune. It's an individual space and it's yours to hand down through generations. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they, they seem to have a lot of those in Russia now. Yeah. It would be so much fun to try and create the circumstances where, say, example, 10, 10 smallholders in close proximity, obviously have a vested interest in cooperating. You know, you've got five, let's say you've got five acres. So you've got that scale of machinery you're interested in. But, oh, look, there's lots of other people that want to do the same thing. How can we How can we cooperate? Um, you know, maybe somebody specialises in something. I mean, maybe not. I mean, it's got to be voluntary. But if somebody's good at, you know, fixing all of the agricultural equipment, then they've immediately got a niche within that community, you know, and uh, and and in some respects a guaranteed market. So, so I, I think there could be so many exciting possibilities that could come together that we almost can't even think of. Do you know what I mean? But it would be beautiful, though, wouldn't it? It would be beautiful to see. Well, I, I think it could it, it could be amazing. And you've just got me thinking because Amanda Volmer interviewed a guy who's um, involved with the Kins Domains in Russia. And I'm just wondering whether it would be worth me reaching out to him and seeing if we could do like a three-way chat. Yeah. 
that would be fantastic to learn what they're doing. And, and see if anything came of that, because you've got your perspective. He's got what they're doing there and how they've gone about it, and it's been going for longer. Um, I, I think it, it it's something. It's the only way I can see through this for us. I can't see any other way because you're not going to fix what's broken, and it's going to keep going until it consumes itself and everything it can get as it dies. And I don't want to be part of it. And and Adrian, I mean, I, just to be clear to anyone that's listening, timescale-wise, I mean, I imagine – this is looking 20, 30, 40 years into the future. I mean, I don't know everybody's at different stages of their lives, um, but young people need to be thinking ahead. I've got relatively young children. I, I'm, I want to live to be 100, but it's a long-term plan is the point. Um, and, you know, potentially, you know, with the right foresight, it, it could be a great thing, but it, but it, um, yeah, it's, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not a, an instant solution in that respect. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to, 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 uh, um, dispel any, any idea that it's like a, an easy fix. It's not an easy fix. It's a really hard fix <laughs> and it's a long-term fix, but, but it's, at the flip side, or at the same time, it's it's immensely empowering. It's immensely enjoying, joyful. It's 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 so many positive things. Yeah, it's got to be done. Yeah, well, I, I think Tony Tony Robbins said something interesting, which was I presume it was his, as opposed to taking somebody else's. That most people underestimate what they can do in a decade and overestimate what they can do in a year. And I, I think that's really true, that if you just simply take a step and another step and another step and another step, you'll be amazed how far you can get. Yeah. And if you don't think you can do it and you have legs that function and you walk, you've already done your own arguments because you've learned how to walk. And it's not as if you stood up one day and went tottering around the thing. You stood up, you fell over, you stood up, you fell over, you banged your head, and everyone's going, come on, come on, come on, you can do it. And you just kept at it. The same with speaking, the same with anything. It takes time. but. If you've grown up in this culture where it's instant gratification, you know, you take a pill that you think fixes you and it doesn't actually makes you worse, but you can go get a piece of information quickly. <clears throat> All those things, what's that? Yeah, it's such a good antidote for the culture of now, isn't it? We it, This idea of thinking long-term, planning long-term, um, carving out a landscape, investing in spending time with land ownership is 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 the antidote, I think, to now culture the the instant gratification culture that we see all around us yeah no that's again from the lack of responsibility and the requirement for instant gratification those are problems that need to be addressed because they're not natural they're not normal no and i I was saying to someone the other day i've had a a question recently i finally found the answer i've been searching for the answer for two decades you know, it was something very important and very personal to me, but that just goes to show to me, certainly, that if you'll stay on it, you don't chase it, but just be mindful that I'd really like to resolve that. I'd like an answer to that. Anything is, you can discover anything if you just take your time and you keep working at it and accept that, you know, you'll probably also never get it done because I don't think you will on the land you've got. You'll never finish sculpting it because there's always something new that you want to try, but you get you get to do it. That's part of the beauty of it, Adrian, is that it's like a never-ending journey and when you're sort of tired, you can tread water, as it were, and not do anything. Or if you, if you want to be creative, you, there's always something else you can do or not. There's, a, there's an enormous, I don't know whether that's too abstract, but uh, there's something I wanted to say about responsibility. I suppose it's a sort of a chicken and egg thing in terms of uh, it's only really the, the sort of people that are going to be inclined to take responsibility that are going to buy land. But it, it, it's certainly a course on responsibility <laughs> once you've you've done it because obviously it's quite a big investment like buying a house or something like that it's uh it's um but yeah that that's that's something i've noticed it, it probably isn't going to appeal to anyone who's not already taking sp- responsibility for their life in some respect and as you said that's that's a problem what was the other one you said it was a problem well self-reliance and responsibility and that and the the requirement to have gratification now yeah the instant gratification now thing yeah if you see, if you're an instant gratification addict, you're not going to be able to plan for that long no. term, or you'll be very challenged. Should, should I say? Um, Having yeah, said that, you'd be very you're quite challenged. Back, back to growing food as an example. Once things start to germinate and go, you can literally watch day by day things change, which which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but it can take a hell of a long time for it to go. We we um, I've got three redwoods that my daughter planted and to get redwoods to germinate you have to put the seeds in a freezer for six months 
<laughs> seriously. In, in a damp cloth in order for them to get ready to germinate when you take them out. Right. Otherwise, it doesn't think nope. it's had a winter. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. great, isn't it? But it's learning the rhythms and the pace and the speed of things. And I've noticed something in life that when things want me to go faster, I now do everything I can to slow down, put the brakes on, and sometimes come to a complete standstill and wait. And, and some of that I learned from watching the animals like the cats. You know, when they, when they go out to do something, they'll stop literally mid-step sometimes, and they just wait, or they'll sit down, and they wait until they know where to go next. It's hysterical. But you can start to learn stuff. And, and to go, the other thing i found is that the quickest way to get somewhere is never the most direct route. It's usually the most meandering circuit, all this place, through the woods, in and out. But the journey is magnificent. <laughs> Absolutely. You can't grow up in the Hertfordshire countryside without appreciating that because I'm surrounded by twisty, turny lanes. So, so that's a, it's a good metaphor, and it's a, and it works in reality around here as well. I think it's a it's a nice part of the world. I mean, I would say that anyway, wouldn't I? But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think a connection to place is is a very important thing, and it's pops perhaps not appreciated from the perspective of not being connected to place. Do you know what I mean? It's something that you only re realise when, when you've not got it. Um, and, and that's such a lovely thing from a place where you, you, know, you plant a tree and you watch it grow. And it's so exciting. It, it's like the, the prophet, if, you know, the sort of spiritual prophet, if you like, the enjoyment, the satisfaction you get out of watching the trees you've put in the ground, you know, go from being two or three feet high to being... 40 feet high it's it's amazing to to just experience that sort of i did that sort of feeling <laughs> well, obviously i didn't single-handedly create the tree but i was responsible for putting it there and starting that off i was responsible for the landscape and that's a really enjoyable thing to keep seeing again and again as you get older and as the trees get bigger and they get bigger and they get bigger you know and and, and it's, it's funny that pleasure increases with the advancing years that's really interesting because I, for most of my life, we moved and moved and moved and moved and moved. And I don't think my dad realized that he was actually taking himself with him, whatever he was running away from, it kept going with him because it was him. <laughs> but yeah. it's only since I moved to Wales that I actually feel connected to somewhere. I feel connected to the area and it's such a nice sensation. Yeah. Just wandering around and, you know, in the woods and stuff and, and all the places we got up here that are just breathtakingly pretty. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to have some kind of outside connection, haven't you? You know, if you're, you know, any kind of, to be able to just, you know, walk out and appreciate that landscape, very necessary. Brilliant. Nigel, that was amazing. Well, thank you. You're always a really interesting man. I love your questions, Adrian. <laughs> well, I like yours too. You, you, you asked me a lot of questions at yours as well. It was wonderful. Mm, forgive me for... Uh... Having a brain fart there. There's, I, I, maybe I said what I was thinking of saying, but and then uh, getting derailed. But anyway, no, I'm not going to forgive you because there's nothing to forgive. <laughs> 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 Wicked. Well, look. Um, um, I, I was thinking also, just just thinking before this conversation, I was imagining us just chatting about stuff and and thinking because I've got all sorts of footage that that you know you could uh, that that that's that's silent footage, maybe nothing happening, but you know might just be chickens and pigs and stuff. It's just sort of uh, my sort of playing library. Sort no, that'd of be great. Clippings. Yeah. I could anything like that because we can make a nice story from it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll have a little trawl through tomorrow and, uh, and maybe ping you some things over in the evening if I find anything suitable. You know, don't feel obliged to use it. I'll, I'll just throw some things at you. <laughs> you. You're very fortunate, Nigel. I'm much like yourself. I don't get obliged to do anything these days. I do yeah. what I want to do. Great. And hopefully, yeah. if anything that I'm doing fits in with that, then all the better. <laughs> it does. That's, great. That, that's, that's the perfect sort of synergy, isn't it? When, um, you know, Yeah. anyway... Well, that's what I've been trying to surround myself with in the last year or two years is I want good, strong, independent, free-thinking men and women that do their own thing, that we don't need each other, but it's always a joy to be around each other. And there's always some, yeah. there's some amusement, there's some learning. We're happy to help each other and work on stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a nice way to be. It is, isn't it? There's a, a gentleman I, I want to introduce you to 
because he's he's a, a significant relationship of mine, Darren Diogi. I don't know whether you've heard, you remember me speaking of him. He was he was to come uh, when you came down. Unfortunately, I've subsequently heard that he's got a lot on his plate. I'd love to introduce you to him because because he's a great mind. You know, he's a, he's a good um, he's a good person to know and chat with. Uh, you know, to get to get those sort of that different perspective you were talking about. You know, when you, you just think, God, thank you. I needed. That had to come from not my head. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, needed, I needed that, and I needed that, and you know. So it's and also the stuff that you give back. That's just you know, you, you throw something away because it's commonplace to you, and there's the other person stood there going, "That's genius." <laughs> <laughs> well, we must all get together, the, the, the three of us, at some point. It will be fun. I'm glad that you'd be able to make the what was it in August? Sometime in August, 14th. I can't remember. 13th, I think. When um, thingy and thingy can come down. And uh, I haven't yet heard whether, I mean, maybe that would be just, that would be chill with just the four of us, to be quite honest. So I, I won't even jump up and down for anyone else to join us unless you. Yeah. So that's, that's the plan is I want to be able to do more face-to-face stuff because it's only four, four and a half hours. It's nothing I can do that. So every once in a while, I'll pop down and we'll have proper chats. You know, I'd, I'd like yeah, yeah. to do it a couple of three times a year at least. That'd be lovely. The, these are really good, Nigel, but sat around the way we did last time Yeah, uh, was really good as well. Really good. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's great fun. It's uh, I'm, I'm as, as keen as you are, mate. Well, Adrian, I've got a tent to go and put down now. I've, um, we've had uh, some guests and the children have been sleeping in the, the tent, you know, the bell tent. So it's my chore now to go and put that down. For, uh... Good. Well, I have to go and water all the crops. So. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Nice one, man. Well, great pleasure to see you again and chat with you. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. And um, we'll set up another one. And if you do think about what it is you wanted to say, let me know and we'll just add that in. I will indeed, sir. I will indeed. And I'll ping you those things tomorrow. Thank you very much. Say hi to everyone. Take care of yourself, buddy. Wicked. Yeah. Nice one, Adrian. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.